0: Welcome to Archive Treasures. I'm Rosie Hill from the Trentham and District Historical Society. Each episode we will explore a topic ranging from Irish migration in the 19th century to plane spotting at Crannies Hill in World War II. This episode highlights from the annual Spud Hut Tour. come with Beth and Reg on a tour of the local spud huts of the district. Spud huts were used to house the seasonal workers on the potato growing farms, although many ended up as long-term permanent residents. Beth Toomey, born locally into a potato growing family, returned to the district and is now a knowledgeable curator at the and District Historical Society. Reg, a semi-retired spud digger, is a regular on the tours, and shares stories of his contemporaries and life as a spud digger. This is a live recording taken on a recent tour, including on the bus travelling between huts and outside in the wind, so there is some background noise.
1: Good morning everyone, and I'm so pleased to be able to say welcome to a true Tretton day. That's Justin. We we're so grateful for him to be able to drive the bus on our three tours today. He's new at it, I'm fairly new, although I was thrown in the deep end last year and um, very short notice ended up doing this. excellent job. Because, <laughs> for two reasons, I'm on the committee of the historical society here in Tretton, and I was born spent first eight years of my life in East Trentham. My name's Elizabeth Toomey, but I get called Beth quite often, that's okay. Um, my father was born and grew up in, at 200 Pearson's Road in Trentham. Trentham or we'll pass his house on our tour today. And my mother grew up at Glenwood, which is um, a house that's been nicely renovated now over on Newton's Lane in Fern Hill. So I think I, qualify has being a local, but at the heart of all of that was Trentham, Trentham people and spuds and there was a whole world revolving around growing spuds. We'll show you how some of those potatoes, did, or spud did, as they called, lived. We're going to go into three separate huts, um, each a little bit different and serve different purposes to different men over the years. Um, we're going, but we also have a helper today called Reg. Um, we are relying on Reg to be over at the old police station when we get there in a few minutes time. Um, Reg is a contemporary of some of the people I'm going to talk about. He's got a long history of, uh, spud digging and all that goes with it. So he might have some stories to tell. He might have some stories we don't want him to tell as well, so we'll try and um, keep, him, keep him calm. But I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite confident because the pubs haven't opened yet, so we should be OK. And when the crowd clears, just we'll take off. Now, this complex belong, is what we look after. And the, oh, there he is, didn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? That was the original police station. <laughs> And on the the left hand side has running water. That's, uh, well actually originally the policeman lived in the right hand part of it and the office was on the left. But it's since been moved around and the dwelling was on the left, the office was on the right until the new facility was built just down here. be prepared, we can't be sure what the state Bridge will be in, but um I'll go oh and, God, and smell. <laughs> I'll wake him up and see what Come on. Surely I can hold this for you. here you go. Tool of trade, his oh. bud digging. Oh should've <laughs> got my bullet. Reach, oh, oh, these yeah. are visitors to the town, please don't disgrace the town or yourself. This is Reach. Reach is a contemporary of some of the people I will talk about. He might... He talks a lot, actually. Yeah. He'll have stories to tell you, but we have to sort of run... We have to check first whether they're suitable or not. Would you like to take a seat? We've saved one for you. Or do you want to stand there? I'll go okay, now because I want to go. <laughs> Not Dalesford, by the way. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Blackwood, South Blackwood, North Blackwood, East Trentham, South Trentham, West oh. Trentham. Oh, well, that should be all right yeah. They're OK, yeah, they they're OK right, people. Yeah. Uh, You're you not... going to sit there, are you? Well, where am I going to sit? Up the front? No, you sit here. I'll sit uh, there. Do you want to stand there? No, I'll, I'll be right. Uh, I'll sit there. You sit there. I'll stand where you are. I look. And yeah. I don't know <laughs> whether you've ever met Just. Oh, no. Uh, just, this Mrs. Reg.
2: Yeah, it's good to
1: see a man drive, right? <laughs> <laughs> I might just give you a little heads, heads up. The hat has a pin. about This is Reg's particular sort of hat pin, which was a needle that was used to sew potato bags. still is used to sew potato I don't think he does much of that these days. Take me.
2: You'd be surprised what I get up to you these days.
1: No, nothing surprises yeah. me, Rich, but take a seat. I want to show these people some of our district. You like that bridge? Your bike bridge. Is that here? Yes. Should be alright? Right? Oh, yeah, I think so. No, I think the police
2: station it should be alright.
1: There are a lot of strangers in oh, town. i oh, not no. too yeah. sure. very suspicious carriers to give you some information yeah. about some of the people that we, that he has worked with in the past. Uh, yeah. When we leave town, we're going to go down onto Pearsons Road. Those who aren't local, that's the main, we'll take uh, Pearsons Road, joins the track Road, which was the heart of the potato growing area. Starting in about the 1860s, my great-grandfather arrived here in eighteen sixty eight, planted potatoes, very cultivated them very successfully, and as he as the story goes down through the family listen to this rich, he didn't drink and he didn't smoke. He saved his money and he bought land. It must have been a <laughs> With a name like John Toomey. I think I think it was the other persuasion. Yes, yes. Um, Irish Catholic to his bootstraps as were all my family um, work <laughs> they worked hard so first of all if people say unkind uh, things about the Irish I have to say one thing about them they were canny nothing else they canny as well has being funny church good land and the land around here is the best you'll find perhaps equal to some soil in um, Gippsland, but it produced great crops, heavy crops. It was potatoes, potatoes, and more potatoes. So there was great demand. They would bring them by horse and drain, first of all, into Cainton, which is 14 miles 20, 24 o'clock and to something like that, road. But so when the railway went through here in the early 1870s, 1880, I should know. But anyway, 18 maybe 1882, it was such a boon because those loads could get two loads a day. They would load the potatoes up on the um, the sidings, the train would pull in, a bevy of men would load onto And they'd be in Melbourne by next morning. And the quicker you turned over the potatoes, the better, because of course it meant that they didn't go green or soft. Um, And they were at their prime when they were actually sold on to uh, wholesalers. The the land on either side of us, all the way down this road to one of Reg's favourite spots, was used for growing potatoes. Um the best way of growing was to rest the land every two or three years, or perhaps like you don't put the same crop, just like in veggies, you don't put the same crop in the same space each year. You try and rotate them. In between they would grow crops of um, oats usually, barley maybe, not so not wheat, chip wheat. Um and they cut the grass and feed the horses because we they would grow turnips and they grow lupins and that was both to feed the animals and to fertilize the soil. It would be on either side. Weekends, they finished, and one of them is known to have said to the other after a missing work on Monday because they just went up to it. After the first half bag of potatoes they dug on a Tuesday morning, one said to the other, they both sat down, didn't say another thing, but they both thought the same thing. And eventually, Dougie said to Curly, "Everything would be all right if we didn't have weekends, because that's when we." We're going to see how they lived. Um, They were itinerants. They didn't live here. They really didn't have anywhere else to live. But because they would be in the district for four or five months at a time, they would... um, They needed somewhere to live. They'd originally come into town, camp at the falls, go to Mackenzie's store, get allocated uh, farms to work on, and then make the arrangements about living. Usually two or three to a hut, if they had to, preferably they they liked one to themselves. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm going to let Reg take over from here because he knew Curly. And if nothing else, you've got to say, this has got the best view in the whole district. So it was a very sensible idea of Curly to choose to stay, live here, and never moved, until he got sent off to hospital, of course. When the, when the Hargraves bought the property? He was 88. He was 88, 88 when he died. Clearly. Hard life, but he still he lived a long time. 2004. Yes, he did, 2004. They had a lovely ceremony up here on a lovely autumn day. May the 12th. Was yeah, was when he, when he left. Um, but when the property was sold, the Hargraves, who bought the property, realized that somebody was living down in the hut. When they investigated, they found out that Curly came He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't moving anywhere. So let's go and see how he is. Oh, you all right there? Oh, you're a bit stiff, Rach. I don't want any chill blanks. Oh, yeah, you would have chill blades. And what a fantastic beer. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking to all these other people. Last year we were here, with was a yellow sunshine, it was a And another reason that Really liked it. of course, his favourite walking hole was just down the hill. Okay. Now, I was just saying, every, every hut had a fireplace. It was essential for warmth and for um, cooking and they would have various things hanging, like that rail across there, they'd have things hanging and they could put a pot or a kettle over there. Um, eventually, the Hargraves put electricity through to this hut, um, but you could see how smoky it would get. Um, and if they read or touched it so it was either by lantern or uh, candle, which is pretty, pretty tricky. But eventually, after the electricity, the Hargraves gave Curly a refrigerator and some time later they asked him how he was making out the refrigerator and he said no good, the mice get in. When Robert went to check out the refrigerator and why it wasn't working, it was because it was so iced up that the door wouldn't close. So of course the mice got in. So anyway, they disconnected it and put it outside to thaw and Robert Hargrove saw Curly picking up the ice and bringing it back inside and putting it back into the fridge. His experience of, of um, refrigerators was limited to the old chest, you know, the old ice chest, mm-hmm. where you would put ice in the top and close it and take cold. That was his experience. Mm-hmm. And also he had a bit of trouble handling the electric blanket. He used to put it over the chair, <laughs> over the chair, heat it up, put it over the chair, and then when he was ready for bed, turn it off, put it over the top of his bed and get into bed. And he was complaining that it wasn't working. So they had to explain how mm-hmm. you did work it. You actually put it on your bed and plugged it in, but he had he had a bit of a mental block about that. Um, some of these things that are here, you can see exactly the mince meter, uh, make mi- mincer, um, there's these old clippers, for use using for clipping hair. I remember those as a child, the old irons. I don't think they would have ironed very much and by the end of the week they would look like Reg does, but they certainly, a man Curly who lived in, worked in here kept it very, very clean. He always swept the floor, of course you could sweep it straight outside, it made it a bit easier. Um, but you could see the problem that they would have with ventilation, if you, if you ventilate it properly it's cold, if you don't ventilate it it's smoky, so we might need to move on out. Uh, Reg might have some stories about Curly. he's he well thought of locally, he got he, he loved people, and they love him.
2: You've got to realise that the thing about living in in this, area, in this district is the cold. Mm. It's so, so cold, mm. it, and unless you've been through it, it, it's hard to hard to understand that it just it just doesn't give up. I've known it to rain for two weeks every day for two weeks and you can't dig. Terrible.
1: So Reg, what do you do when you can't dig?
2: You stay inside beside the fire or if you've got a couple of bobs saved up you might wander down to the pig and whistle.
1: Or you had a supply out the back for emergencies like wet days?
2: very few of us had much of it in emergency supply, have to say. It? Oh, well, that's it's true. Yeah. Um, and then you get a frost, um, and sometimes you get a frost on top of the frost. You get a frost on Monday, and would come over a bit cloudy, and the sun would never break through. But then later that afternoon, the sky cleared clear, and it come becoming frosty again on top of the first one. And I remember once, not this happening, another one. I got up in the morning, in the frosty morning, and I put one step out the door, and I fell over, flat on me back, straight away. Mm-hmm. I couldn't bloody get up. I hadn't actually hurt myself, but every time I tried to get up, i bloody fall over again. It was so, such a heavy mm-hmm. Um And then it, sometimes, well, every year it'll snow. Sometime here, sometimes mm-hmm. three times a year, four times a year now, but in the older days, like the old, old um, uh, um, Tommy Thorpe, he passed away now, he died last year. He, he said he remembers when he was just a little kid in school, that one year it snowed and the wind came in and it was dry snow and he said the drifts was up over the fences like they were hills and, and on, the, on the windy side of the huts the snow would get right up to the top of the windows or the top of the doors on that side there there was so much snow and that that time he said it lasted three weeks and after it was melted um, they found a couple of the diggers that had gone to sleep outside and didn't realise the snow was coming Um, and they just they just froze they get in under the You'd have to leave to leave the pub at six o'clock things are very different nowadays but the pub shut at six and they'd open usually about 11 and the, the, the policeman was really quite strict on that and in the winter time it would be dark about half past five so you'd leave the pub at six and if it was cloudy like this you couldn't see anything and and in the early days I remember them talking about they had street lights, but the street lights they was kerosene, you know, and you could hardly see from one street light to the next. They had to be lit every every afternoon, and then bloke would come round with the ladder, and he'd, um, and he'd he'd turn them off at the end of the night, and they'd refill. And on the way home, you know, you'd, you'd sort of drink as much as you as you could to get out by six. And then sometimes you just fell asleep beside the you know, beside the fences, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of the fellas, I mean, I drink a lot. They can say I don't mind. I drink a lot, but some of the fellas, they was they was terrible. They they, they, they Some of them, you know, they they get a a big pot, big old Dutch oven and they'd fill it with potatoes, and they'd boil it, and boil it, and boil it, until it was just mush. And they then they'd tip in a whole bottle of methylated spirits into the mush, like that. And then it'd keep, keep going for two or three days. Yeah, um, just awful situations. Anyway, we better keep We've going. Moving. Another, I can tell you a story up.
1: about Curly, had lots of trouble with bikes.
2: <laughs> it was believed that he had
1: more bikes than the rest of the people in the district put together, because he he would get, go down to the pub and pay okay on the bike, but he had trouble coming home, and it was quite usual to see a broken bike somewhere along the along the route, even though it was just down to the pub and back up here. Okay. When we leave here, we'll go left, down to the uh, James Lane, and left there. That's the famous Pig and Whistle. It was closed for quite some time due to COVID, but has resurrected in the last um, six, eight months perhaps, doing very well and makes all the locals very happy. As I said, these people that came here were itinerants. They moved from district to district following the, the seasons. Potatoes are planted here in about October. The reason these brick huts were built by the Walsh's was because they got sick of the, um, your mates burning <laughs> them down. <laughs> you know, Very they'd big, always yeah. have a fire yeah. to keep them warm, cook their food, dry their clothes. On that odd occasion they um, washed them. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, the only way of getting potatoes was digging them up okay. by hand. There weren't any machines. So every one of the farms around here would have a, a, a digger's hut or they'd have the old farmhouse because often the, the, the owners would build a new house and they'd leave the old ones. And then sometimes you might have three or four diggers all in in for a while in the old farmhouse. But it used to be a bit awkward. A lot of them didn't get on terribly well together, especially when they got drunk. So the, But for a long time, the only thing that the, that a digger had was what he stood up in. Uh, and sometimes they even had to bring their own forks. Usually around here, uh, the, there'd be a hut, and the and the landholder he, he'd give you a potato fork to do your digging. But, um, but the huts, see, this one's this has got lining. Oh, yes, nice. awesome.
0: Yeah,
2: got it here. Yeah. How are you? Good, Good, how are you? You married, do you?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. He's out there. All right. What he sees out there, he doesn't see. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, anyway, this is lined and it's got a concrete floor. Uh, most of them didn't have a con- concrete floor. They just have a wooden floor. And you've got to remember that back in those days, there wasn't anything, there's no building regulations or anything like that. So they'd start off building the fireplace and then they'd build the rest of the hut around the fireplace. And usually they'd just lay the floor and the walls on some great big stones to get it up off the ground a little bit like that, because if it touched the ground, it'd go rotten very quickly. Um, And of course, the, the fireplaces, the mortar between the bricks it, it would break up after a while and, and some of these huts you'd go out at night in the dark and you'd see all these little tiny pinpricks of light through the chimney because the like the it was actually actually starting to uh, deteriorate yeah. um the, there was no toilet you just had to find a tree somewhere nearby and for, for lots of people that was all right for three or four or five weeks while he was digging um, for others it was you know I think there were two huts down there um, I think Marty Dwyer, I think he had a toilet with his because he used to have permanent diggers uh, who'd worked for him in the summer as, as well as just come through itinerant and so they'd, they'd finished digging in Kurirup and then they come up here and they dig for the winter uh, and, and we go down to Karoit usually finish up down at Karoit. Um, what would you
0: do for a wash? Just oh, go this, to the creek? Yeah yeah
2: but see you, you've got to remember that the life of the farmers back in those days it wasn't much better than the life of the diggers I and mean, the diggers had it hard but the farmers had it hard as well you know i remember percy Bruton. he's died a few years ago now he said he remembers waking up one winter's day and he looked through the boards beside his house they lived in the sleep out and there was snow right beside him you know, just just on the other side of the wall there you know, and, and that's they had a hard hard life um, the, the farmers not not just the diggers yeah so every every farm would have a hut um, most of the huts are dying now because they just break down, and they're, they're good. We, we had to feed ourselves, the, the farmers would provide us some firewood and there'd usually be an axe uh, and, and a cross cut saw uh, and these things that you're standing on there, you see, they're wood wedges. They sometimes just split open a, a big old rough piece of a stump or something for firewood You'd have to drive the wedge into the wood with the 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 hammer there behind it the sledgehammer like that and bust up like so it used to take a lot of time you know so between keeping you keeping yourself warm and dry firewood and and feeding yourself uh, it it was actually a fair bit of time and at night see there's no electricity so so we just have kerosene uh, lanterns like that um, the farmer used to supply the kerosene for the most part but sometimes it, if, the, if there wasn't a lantern you'd it, it, it have a like a, a tin of treacle and you'd knock a hole just to, in the top of the treacle tin the lid and you'd put a bit of blanket inside it and some kerosene in and and that that would be your light. you know yeah Anyway, I talked a lot more than I'm used to talking, so yeah, good Thank yeah, you, you, Thank you. No worries. Thanks. Yeah. And our, our next stop um, a lovely lady called Betty is going
1: to have an Irish stew for us. Yeah. I just didn't I just didn't want anybody else to the lady. Yeah, my, I mean, when I hopped on the bus I had a look at them and I thought oh,
2: I'd better hang on to the sword
1: <laughs> What worries me is it's only half a flagon is there. Come come on, Reg. Yeah, we're going over. Um, and a lovely lady called Betty is uh, going to um, provide us with a, a lovely Irish stew. It's very, very nice. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. She's a saint, that woman.
2: There's a lot of hard women in this
1: district. Actually, the women, if, if they're well behaved, the women, the, the farmers' wives were very generous. They always, like my my family, always gave uh, milk, uh, butter, cream—not cream much. Um, the staples they they and meat, like simple meats like um, chops, sausages. Just a little bit of... Reg knows lots about Bob, but Bob lived to 100 years of age and four months, and he died uh, in a nursing home in Castlemaine. He was Scottish, came out here in the 1920s for a better climate. Not sure, Well, he went to Queensland first, so that makes sense, doesn't it? and he worked He worked on K Farms there and then uh, made his way down here and lived here for a long time and was one of the few who would have spent a lot of time reading. He used to just read by lamp or candle, no windows in this hut until, as I said, the Lions Club established um, or put the window in when they were doing a refurbishment. He'll, he, he would always have a fire going. They always had a fire going. And and one thing they would certainly get from their farmer would be wood, a good supply of wood. So, um, you take your fork. You need it more than I, I do. Yeah. No
0: yeah.
1: Yes, I think so. We
0: followed you. Game.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> get it over and done with, Rich. Follow that man. He'll tell you all you needed to know.
2: Well, this is bomb sucking.
1: You ought to come in, everyone. <laughs> okay. Tell us all you know about this man, this hut. One thing that's different about it.
2: I'll tell you all I know it won't take more than 15 seconds. <laughs> yeah, right. um, He's suddenly
1: gone shy, that's not like
2: not right, really. So this is Bob's, call it Bob's hut, it wasn't the only it was Frank Dwyer's hut and the other people who lived here from the start, but Bob ended up, he stayed here for many years and Bob was, he was a sailor in the Merchant Marine. In World War One he got torpedoed twice, a bit unlucky in that respect and he lived here I think he, he moved out of here in the late 1970s when he was about 94 years old. You think about that man who lived here on his own until he was about 94. Right? Um, you get the water from the spring on the other side of the road and eventually they put a pipe through and a, there's a water trough there for the yeah. thing as well. Again, there's no toilet and the, um, the landholders, they, they would help him a bit with, with the wood. But he had to supply you know, everything for himself. But he, was, he was well off in the later years because he, he was on a pension. You know. um, so this is, this is how he lived. You can see that the, the bags that the Lions Club had put up, some attempt to stop the wind. But when Bob lived here, was, it was not lined at all. It's just the weatherboards boards on the outside. So the temperature inside the hut in the winter time is not much more than the temperature outside. You know? But a good fireplace here, one, one really good thing about this hut, really good fireplace. You, you, all, you have trouble living in a place like this, you have trouble with rats and mice, and you have trouble with ants. So if you want to keep anything that's, that's edible with all, you've got to keep it in intense. Uh, uh, you see there that the way you, you do it, you'd you have his, his pot of jam, and you put the jam in a in a dish and put water around the dish so the ants couldn't get to the jam, you see. Um, you, you could do the same thing with the sugar but the sugar would go damp. So they used to put the sugar and the and the tea up on the mantelpiece there behind you so that it'd be nice and dry. Like that. Yeah. Um, mate, Bob used to drink a bit, but he wasn't a, wasn't a drunkard, but uh, a lot of the other fellas, they, they just drink themselves, blind, literally blind drunk. Um, uh, I remember the, the doctor, she came to a, got, got a call one day down there to Rocky Ned's place, the other side of, of Prince and on the way in, into Dalesville. And Ned had, um, he'd fallen asleep and he was there in his hut with three others and all the other three were absolutely drunk and there was was no furniture, just a couple of boxes and those she says they are just up against the side of the walls in in their swags and Ned fell asleep in front of the fire and his rubber boots caught fire I don't know how the message got out to her but when she came up she had to um, pull the boots off, because the other three fellows there were absolutely so drunk they couldn't they, they couldn't take the boots off. Ned couldn't get them to pull his pull his boots off, you know. And he, his feet got well, terribly burnt to that. Another bloke, um, uh, a couple of them, you went to sleep outside, and your feet were wet because your feet would be wet nearly all the time. That's why you, you don't wear socks if you're digging potatoes. Because if you wear socks, your, your feet end up getting you get sores all over the inside of your your outside of your feet because of the of the fungus and things like that. Um, but your feet you go to sleep drunk and wet and outside, um, and in sometimes the like the boot will freeze to your foot. so cold. There's one bloke. And, he pulled his. He, he went to sleep outside, and he pulled his boot off in the morning. It was frozen, and two of his toes came away with the with the rest of the, the foot, right? Um, and the doctor said, "Look, we've got to get get you seen to because you'll get um, you get poisoning. Get, um, angry, you get, know, anguilla poisoning." Um, and they took him up to up to to the hospital there. On the horseback in a Um and he, he heard the doctors say, We'll have to take the leg off. you heard them say that. And apparently, he just, when they back returned, and it out of the hospital. He got back down here to Kenson, and the next day he was out in the paddock digging, digging spuds again. Yeah. And he, he kept the leg. He kept the leg, yeah. And that's. But there are a lot of stories like that, but life was so hard and, and poor. Some of the fellas, some of them were educated men. There's one bloke I know of, he was actually a jeweller, and the blog got him, and he just lost his family and his house and his business and everything, and he ended up here in the huts picking potatoes. Another bloke was famous, he'd been to Oxford University. And he'd been sent out to Australia by his family to seek his fortune, and he ended up around here digging potatoes. But the other blokes, especially some of the Irish fellas, they, they just couldn't read or write at all. You know, and they, they'd never been to school, they'd never been um, wealthy enough or, or, or able to leave home for long enough to actually go to a school. You know, and they come out here to Australia to, to seek their fortune, so to speak, um, and they used some of them. In the wintertime, so they they get their binder points, and they they sew their, their, their under, their flannel under, together, right up to their neck for the whole winter. Uh, because they, that was their way of, of just keeping war. It was, there was no one to look after them. If you couldn't look after yourself, yeah, yeah. It, you, you died. You yeah. you just died. Um, and there one bloke I, I know of uh, it, down here. He he was was Marty Dwyer, Marty White, uh, early days. Um, he was going to be paid, and and uh, Marty said, you, "You come up at, yeah. at uh, the dinner time when you're finished." Your rows and bagging, and, and I'll give you your money, and then you can go into town if you want to. And yeah, he come in, and he'd never been to school. He could read and write. and matey gave him a cheque, and he'd never seen a cheque in his life before. He said, "What's this?" You said you claim it. The said, "That's as good as money. If you take that into um um Mr. Jim Mackenzie's or into the pub, they'll give you money for that." And Blake said, Jeez Where do you get books like that? I like a book like that. <laughs> that's that was his that's true. That was his understanding. Because that's what that farmer had told him. You take this, I've written on it, you take it and give it to the to the publican and he will give you he'll give you whatever it was, a couple of pounds and lots of shillings. We did the average price of a of a, a digger for a bag. Sometimes as low as 9 sometimes it'll be up to 2 shillings, you know, depending on the uh, on the on the season and things like that. But it it used to work out used to work out about the same as the price of a bottle of beer. You uh, Your your piece rate, your sell piece rate. So the more potatoes you bag, you bag and bag, the more money you get. And that's why fellas like Harry Kingdon, they were talking about, or Sammy Gamble, they they'd make a fair, fair bit of money because they was really good. But other people, um, like i would never been lucky to dig ten bags in a day, you know, <laughs> depending on the size of the paper, <laughs> like and your, your back would get really sore, because you, you can kneel down if you want to put them in the bag, but after a while the bag gets, gets too heavy you've got to bend over and, you know, get up with your foot, and for lots of us it was a, our backs would go on, the, on our knees, you know. Um, and then, You'd have to actually at the end of the day, you'd load your bags, you get a mate, another digger, and you load the bags up onto a drake. 150 pounds. Your big potato bags was bigger, others like that. And they're fifteen to the ton. And and then you dig you beginning in the morning, you go out and you choose which rows you wanted to, and you dig as much as you wanted to. If you didn't work, you didn't want to work. That was, up, that was your own lookout, you know. Anyway, so Bob died, um, He's 104 when he died. He didn't die here, he went off to Clinton and was in care there. Uh, but that, that was his life, his kerosene lanterns at night. So he'd, he'd read by the, the light of the lanterns. Um, then an alarm clock. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Ernie Herrick was another, like, he his alarm clocks had stopped working and he'd, he'd boil them in a billy to make them start again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I believe um, Mrs. Betty has got some something nice there for you, so um, if you'd like to go and introduce yourselves to her, you'll be well cared for. Yeah, how, thank did you?
0: know, I mean, how did they know whose bags were what
2: Oh, you'd have a row. Yeah. You'd pick a row like yeah. that, and you'd just know that's that's my bag. And the other boat, they, they were pretty straight, because yeah. everybody would benefit. It, it wouldn't take somebody else's bag, just just so, wasn't
1: done. Yeah. So you'd perhaps put your 10 bags mm-hmm. up on the drain. and they'd know that you'd done, yeah. done 10 for the day? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. They'd, they'd, uh,
1: the oh.
2: landholder would keep tally. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. do you have the shirts <laughs>
1: Yeah. I can't trust these men
0: just having some stew. Yeah. Oh, hey, <laughs> Betty's Authentic Irish Stew, courtesy of Margaret Fulton. One kilo of diced lamb, neck chops are the authentic version. Two kilos of potatoes, 500 grams of onions, salt and pepper, two cups of water, one to two teaspoons of mixed herbs, and two bay leaves. Trim the excess fat off the lamb. Peel the potatoes and thinly slice a few using a veggie peeler. Cut the rest into chunks. Saute the onion to caramelize and then sear the lamb. Put into a casserole dish with all the other ingredients. Stir, make sure the water just covers it all. Cook in a moderate oven for two to three hours at least, or cook in a slow cooker for six to eight hours, stirring occasionally. The sliced potato will thicken it. This is gluten free and tasting bowls have been served at Bob Stewart's Spud Hut for the last several spud fests. This keeps Reg happy and well fed. Archive Treasures is produced on Zha Zha country. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners and we would also like to extend our respects to the elders Past, present, and emerging. Archive Treasures is brought to you by the Trentham and District Historical Society. If you would like to hear further episodes, they are available for most podcasting apps, or on our website, www.trenthamhistoricalsociety.org.au, or you can go to our Facebook page, Trentham and Districts Historical Society Australia. I hope you can tune in next time for more archived treasures.